and we're back. Hey, dude, what's going on? What what is this? Uh, I don't know. I was honestly trying to be like trying to be a little bit Joe Rogan, but Joe not, Rogan. Yeah. That was Joe Rogan. Well, well actually, no. This is, is Joe Rogan. Does. No, 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 this is me doing Joe Rogan. Alrighty, motherfuckers. That still sucked. <laughs> Who was that? Was that more? That was more. Um, that was more like you know that dude that intros every movie. He was a man. She did ballet. Can she I, was also a man. Can I make it any more obvious? Well, he, he used to be a man. He used and to be a man. Now he's he's a she because he, he likes to be referred to as a she because but, it's politically correct to do so. But sometimes he he likes to be referred to as a he because he's he's more gender fluid than than the transgender. He he's able to use any bathroom he likes. <laughs> he's able to work into the male and the female. Which I think is very cool. <laughs> and rather weird, but very, very cool. Very cool and rather sexual. He's able to watch children. That's what we're doing. Hang on. So that's what we're doing. We're not going down the pedophile area there, Bill. I, I apologize. I apologize. I'm um, not getting pedophilic. <laughs> um, hey guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome yeah. back to Adventure Radio. Well, uh, you've already had one show for the new year, but here's is your second yeah this is the real welcome back because this is the first time me and tommy have caught up yeah in the new year it is and we have a fucking funny show for you today this is a good one isn't it it's actually so um educational yeah it's very i learned a shit ton of stuff he was a man uh, yeah i learned about that guy he is a man yeah he was a man <laughs> um john nicolosi the dude with john the, nicolosi's uh, a man so he used to be um well, he used to be John Nicolasina. Well he used to be he used to be Jennifer Nicolasina. Yeah. <laughs> right. He used to be a woman, but now it's John Nicolosi is- used to be a woman. Now goes by the name of John. In two thousand seventeen, we introduced to you uh oh, yeah, nothing. Oh shit. I, I thought I, I thought I was gonna have shit. something there. Anyway, guys, the the yeah. show's John Nicolosi is a, a, a friend very, of the show. Very, very learned man. He's it's uh, and in th- every time I sit down with John Nicolosi, mm. I'm enthralled from his knowledge about health and fitness. And he's very, and, uh, and very, he's, very short. He's very, he's very, he's extremely, he's so absolutely 100% hairy. Yes, very it's, hairy. Um, it's, very petite. Yeah. But Jason's a good man. Yeah, he's... he's I really love him. Well, he's not a good man. He's not no, a really good man. He's, he's an he's, average man. He's very, very... He, he's, he's a man. Yes, he's a man. He's a man. He's a man. I don't particularly like him that much. Yeah, I had him. I had him. I'm going to You'll actually see from the show that Tommy and John very much so actually hate each we other. Don't, we don't like each other at all. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, John, Tommy Johnny. ruffles his feathers, and if you could see the daggers that John was oh, passing. Yes. Now, Johnny, Johnny and I have a uh, we have a bizarre relationship. Yeah, you have a hate hate relationship. It's an open relationship. Yeah. I'm look look. I'm seeing other people. Yeah. I'm hating other people. Um. Yeah. I'm burning other people. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, uh, Jennifer. Um. um anyway, so. Um, this show is, it's actually really educational. It's a fantastic yeah. conversation. We and love Tommy, Tommy rubs John up a few uh, Oh, that's few yeah, shocking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tommy rubs him off. I, to- I, told, him how you, I, told, him, I told him he used to be a girl. Yeah, well, okay, still that's has, good. Still has the old ass. <laughs> the, <you know. laughs> oh, this is ridiculous. Um, John, John's going to turn this on to oh, listen to this show, okay. and he's going to turn it straight off. Ooh, what are these boys talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we, we should go so, to sponsors. So this show is um, brought to you by Audible. Yes, it is. Head to audible.com and use the code word 
What's the code? ADVF Radio. Head to, head to, is it? Is it? No, it's ADVF. It's ADVF. No, head, to, head to audibletrial.com audibletrial.com. <laughs> sorry, guys. We've uh, had about three weeks off recording. It's true. So head to audible.com to check out all their range of audiobooks, guys. You'll get Fantastic. 30 days free and you also get one free audiobook. It's the best service on the internet. You'll absolutely love it. It is Unreal Madrid. We are also brought to you by Carve. Carve are a VA service, guys. So they're over in the Philippines and they outsource. Um, you can outsource your work to them. And to check the, those guys out, you can get 10 hours free. I have three, uh, three assistants. Me and Tommy have one for the podcast. I have two for Adventure Travel. And those guys are absolutely fantastic. So to check them out and get 10 hours free, head to www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF. And sorry for the intro. I had mm. fun. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Hopefully people still listen to this podcast. Yeah, but if they don't, fuck them. <laughs> um, Here's so, the show. Yeah. Here's the show. Here's the show. Yeah. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? Come with me if you want to live. I did. Go, 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 that girl. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live. Too rare to die. Alrighty, welcome back to Adventure Radio. We are back for round two, round one for the listeners, mm. because unfortunately, <laughs> me and Tommy aren't the most. Um, we're quite adept when it comes to we suck. Yeah, at we holding suck. holding on to the files, Do and and uh, we actually lost a show with John. So um, we we suck, and we've got him back on the show. We got him back on the show. Um, didn't want to bring it up, but the boys said that they were going to make light of it, so I thought we might as well get it out of the way. <laughs> Yes, we did lose the show. All right, so um, before we throw over to Johnny and welcome him in, Tommy, as usual, is uh, going to push razor blades in our ears. No, just joking, Tommy. That's a, <laughs> that's a joke. It's a Johnny, the, uh, the thing I love about this is that Johnny just... I've never seen a man more uncomfortable when I, when I sing him a tune, so that's great. All right, this is a song confessing my love for John. It's called I've uh, Physically, Emotionally, Spiritually and Mentally Fallen in Love with John, so... <laughs> Now when I have an injury And I can't move like Jet Lee John's the man I'd go and see Because he's a real beauty Oh yeah, he's a jack of all trades At school his grades were all A's At least what he tells me I'm sure that would have got him laid Or maybe not Even though his clothes look a homo Maybe cause I fall in love with John And he's a physician That didn't even rhyme And in addition I've really put him in an uncomfortable position Uh, 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 uh uh, 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 u
Uh, if you didn't think that, uh, if you didn't know you two were mates, you'd think that he genuinely hates you. Hates you. He probably well, does genuinely hate you. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, I feel as though we're mates, but in his mind, he definitely hates me. <laughs> G'day, Johnny. G'day, fuckwit. Um, Good to know we're still. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. No worries. So, um, what have you been up to since we since we? Um, Last Actually, didn't, well, we last they, didn't talk to you. No, no yeah, that's right. The, the guests, the guests, um, the guests don't know who you are. So, why don't you introduce yourself and um, tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, so, my name's John Nicolosi, uh, Melbourne born and bred. Uh, Good man. Original training is as a physio. Uh, when I did a master's in exercise science, specialising in strength and conditioning, and uh, over the last three or so years, put together a business with a, a few colleagues that sort of aims to help with both uh, sports injuries and performance um, mm. for athletes. Uh, we try and specialise in trying to help people, probably not obviously the ones that are completely at um, elite level uh, because they're usually in a, a professional sporting environment, but uh, those people that are trying to aspire to get there. We work with a lot of particularly uh, track and field athletes. That's my background in sport, um, but a lot of people playing sort of AF, AFL or VFL level uh, for those who are from, from Australia and Melbourne who understand uh, that level of, of sport. Um, and work with a lot of uh, CrossFit athletes, uh, weightlifting. Um, at the moment, we're, we're involved with hockey um, mm-hmm. and soccer. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the background of what I've been doing for the last three or four years. Were you actually a track and field athlete yourself? Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, sprints. I was uh, as good as a junior, but not yeah. not much after that. When everyone's famous start to outgrow your famous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not the tallest of humans. <laughs> you <laughs> fe- femurically challenged, so <laughs> to speak. It's, it's good for sitting on a plane only. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, cool. So, um, how does it feel to um, to be working with these athletes to try and get them to the next level? Does that give you like a really good drive to try and say somebody young kid comes to you and they want to qualify for an Olympic team in, in hockey or, or uh, they want to aspire to be an AFL footballer? Like, what is that like trying to get them to their dreams, so to speak? Uh, look, I think uh, I'm reasonably pragmatic about that and I think it's, it's always about sort of setting targets that are achievable. Um, often the biggest way of achieving that and giving them the opportunity to do so is by setting things that are achievable in terms of um, the progressions. Um, and it's always about progress for me. It's not I'm not really necessarily always that outcome-driven. Um, we sort of set, okay, these are the targets we're hitting um, for this period of time and we sort of keep ticking them off as we go. Um, for me, it's always about sort of execution rather than necessarily what the outcome is. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel that if you sort of... You, you aim to sort of hit your execution points. You probably reach your target anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So, so what type of um, what type of goal setting do you do with um, with your athletes? Do you have specific competitions in mind that you'll have to train for, or if you have a, an off season period, do you break it up into uh, three month chunks, or, or how do you go about actually setting goals? Obviously, maybe taking outside of the competition side because if a competition's a competition, yep. but in maybe an off-season, how do you how do you break that up? Well, it really depends on who we're working with. Obviously, you know, I'm not the technical coach for sports like soccer or hockey or whatever, so it's, that's more working in with the actual coaching, the actual specific head coach or, mm-hmm. or coaching staff to work on that um, or technical directors uh, for some of those at sporting clubs, um, whereas... Part of what we do as well is we sort of facilitate and coach an elite track squad. Um, so with that, we're sort of facilitating everything. Um, so with those guys, uh, to give you more example, yes, I, I break those periods into sort of smaller, as you know, like macro cycles and stuff like that. Um, but essentially, like the system that 
I tend to sort of be closely, uh, you know, like have an affinity with is more of a, a sort of a complex sort of training sort of system where we're trying to attack most things at once. Um, I'm sure most of your listeners have probably heard of, you know, block training mm-hmm. um, and all that kind of thing. Yep. We don't tend to, to do that where we work on one or sort of have a much bigger emphasis on one aspect only. Um, so I tend to be working on most things uh, all of the year. Um, the other big thing that sort of falls into that is like my biggest thing, particularly with the off season is, um, and for those listeners that have any interest in sort of track and field, they probably have heard of the name Stu McMillan. Um, he has a, a really good blog called McMillan Speed. But, um, you know, like I really liked the fact that he sort of brought up the idea that in the off season, it's not so much about sort of pushing a lot of volume or training load into the athlete. It, it is in some respects, but most of the time that's a skill acquisition period mm-hmm. where you can actually spend a lot of time trying to refine what the task is that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I know obviously your background's in like weightlifting and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I'm sure you've probably seen different approaches where some coaches are spending a lot of time just murdering the athlete in, in the in sort of the, the non-competition period. But then there would be other coaches who are just like, we need to refine this technique down because at the moment you suck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and for me, that's sort of what I'm working at. You know, with my athletes that are track and field based, you know, most of the time, a lot of their skill acquisition is around their running mechanics, acceleration abilities, um, and we're slowly building up their strength capacities in the gym. It is an obviously a, a good opportunity for us to push them a bit harder, in, uh, particularly in the gym and stuff like that. In the competition period, they just fall apart. Mm. If we start pushing those gym entities too much, yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, for me, like the off season is more. Uh, I try and if there is any sort of block um, strategy that I use or break down into sort of you know cycles, it's usually around skill acquisition. It's like I'm going to focus on this part of their execution at this time, mm-hmm. and then I'm going to keep working that up. Now that differs very much when I'm working with like the soccer or hockey guys. For them, there is a much greater focus on some of their physical abilities um, and, and at a time, this is so obviously partly to do with what the coaches want, um, you know, the, the actual technical coaches want. You know, a lot of the time they're doing the skill acquisition stuff. So from my end, I'm working on the physical capabilities, whether that's speed, whether that's agility, mm-hmm. change of direction abilities, um, you know, strength capacities and, and obviously... In those sports, it's, it's repeat sprint ability, um, you know, underlying anaerobic and aerobic conditioning. So with them, I'm probably pushing them more on their physical capabilities and their training time that they spend when they're doing technical stuff. I'm not always dictating a lot of that. So um, yeah. that changes how I sort of structure it for them. Right. Um, so so you're kind of like a jack of all trades to some degree. Cause you, John, of, you, John of all trades. John, John, of all, John sorry, sorry, it's John, isn't it? It's John. Yeah. Not, not, uh, we're not speaking to Jack Nicolosi here. Um, because um, so basically, you'll just do whatever's whatever's needed for that particular sport that you're that you're working with. So you might do, um, you might work on rehabilitation stuff physio wise, or you yep. might write actual strength and conditioning programs, yeah, or yeah. you might do breaking down of technique, which you know in the the, the sprinting field, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So like, I'm fortunate in the respect that. You know, I, I took the time to go and do like it was one of the big things that when I after I did my physio sort of degree and was working with athletes, I sort of very quickly realised uh, I actually don't have enough understanding of of the training side of things, um, and and even sort of how to apply sort of training principles. So I sort of forced myself to go back to uni and do the, the master's degree, um, which has changed completely changed the way that I sort of approach things. I try not to. Um, as you said, like I like the idea of being a bit more generalist in nature. 
Um, and I don't necessarily like often being sort of labeled one thing or the other because mm-hmm. I think that sort of limits you in what you can sort of do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, often if I'm looking at an athlete or working with an athlete, I'm trying to keep all of those aspects in check. So, what's the health of the athlete? What are the factors that go into that sort of making sure they're healthy? Um, and then what are the training um, applications that they need for both them as an individual and, and their sport? And how do we sort of write a program that addresses all of those things? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, keeping in mind what their, their overall load might be for competition or um, for the upcoming sort of preseason or whatever mm. it is or what the, the, the injury history is like as well. Mm-hmm. You know, some people you have to sort of over-program certain things because their injury history is as long as your arm. Yeah. So... Um, let's touch on uh, let's touch on one specific area that you that you mentioned, which is um, like power athletes. Yep. So you want to build someone who's every sport basically, especially team sports. Um, you, well, nearly every sport you want to have someone who's powerful. Yeah. You know, you want to kick long, jump high, run fast, be evasive in in, in whatever. Then you want to um, you on the gram over there, Tommy. Yeah, it's on the gram. Just, uh, you know, got a few likes now. and uh, no, no, it's good. It's good. Thanks, yeah. for, um, thanks for engaging in this yeah, conversation. Do you want to, um, that's right. I was actually trying um, to upload a well, video for us. Turn your mic off if you like it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's no. right. Um, I'm pretty hungry, guys. I'll see you in a bit. <laughs> um, so my question is, like, building a power athlete that, that'll transfer over into any sport, really, but, like, if you want to build the most powerful, um, explosive athlete, then what type of stuff do you put, do you put into place? Because we know we know how to get strong, but not everyone understands exactly how to be powerful and where the differentiation is there. So can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and this is sort of the area that I think is starting to get more and more interesting, um, is the idea of sort of profiling athletes and sort of working out where their 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 strong points or their limitations might be. So uh, for those who are interested in sprint research, there's a group based in in France um, led by a researcher called J.B. Moran and he was more looking at sort of sprint athletes but looking at their profile. Are they someone who uses high frequency or they're very powerful or they're, you know, they're very strong or they they really like to apply horizontal forces or vertical forces when they're running? Now, not, not that's overly relevant but essentially... When, when I get an athlete, it's like I try and work out what kind of athlete they are, mm. where are they limited, where are they not limited. So, obviously, in a more complex sport, say like AFL football, they need lots of different skills and you need to obviously ascertain what is going to differentiate them in their, you know, in their abilities to someone else mm-hmm. um, and, and where do you need to sort of go with that and what have they been exposed to. So, obviously, as you said, the, the speed and power are probably the biggest two differentiators in all team sports. Mm. Um, even though, for instance, if it, you know, here in Melbourne, we tend to have a really strong affinity with aerobic conditioning for some reason. Yeah. Um, now, that is extremely relevant. I'm not saying that it's not, but um, I think sometimes we underdevelop some of, those, some of those capacities. And I think it's actually why we see certain injuries in AFL at a high prevalence, including things like ACLs. Um, than we do in other sports. Um, really? Yeah. Like I did an analysis. It was very brief myself looking at ACL injuries in rugby versus AFL. Now, there is obviously a lot more change of direction mm. in, in AFL and there are people coming from multi-directions rather than just head-on. Mm-hmm. But the proportion of ACL injuries is much higher in AFL than it is in rugby. Mm. Um, and in rugby, you'd think with the with the forces that they're generating when they're tackling, you'd think it almost would be higher. Mm. Um but I think the, the huge strength base that a lot of those rugby athletes has um, and the more speed and power nature to the way that they train actually probably is protective for them. 
See, mm. I've heard a lot about AFL pre-seasons and it, uh, like even when they're in the in the realm of pre-season, it's all just very much like running and there's not a whole lot of like, you know, I mean, the fact that AFL athletes don't um, do any Olympic weight thing, I, I believe is astonishing. I don't know too much some, about some it. Some clubs like, do, some don't. It just depends on obviously who the, the staff are and what their experience is. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it isn't it in rugby the pre-season a lot more focused on strength and power? And it speed is, like but you, you obviously have to obviously put that in context of what the sport is and, yeah. and how it actually... Like an AFL player is probably going to cover 12 to 15 kilometers mm. per game. Whereas a rugby player is not, they may be covering six to seven kilometers a game. So yeah. it is a very different sort of way. And the way that the game is set up, we say like NRL, there's a lot more um, stop-start, yeah. there's a lot more accelerations and decelerations, whereas AFL is a lot more continuous and open play. Mm. Um, so, you know, coming back to the original question, it, it's it's all about sort of identify what that person needs. And then it, it's putting together all the pieces, you know, is why is that person not powerful? Are they actually lacking fundamental base strength? You know, if that's the case, then, you know, they may need to spend a preseason working on fundamentals like squatting. Mm-hmm. Is it because they actually lack the ability to convert that strength into power? And you might use, in that, in that phase, you might be working on more things like Olympic lifting mm-hmm. and variations of such, um, plyometric type tasks. Mm. Um, or is it a coordinative ability that they're really lacking? You know, mm-hmm. some people are really like you, and and I've got athletes like this. They're really powerful. It's not an issue. They can jump and they can bound, and they they're really good with plyometric tasks. And just they just can't they just can't transfer. They just don't transfer. And and a lot of the times, again, that comes back to the skill side of things. So, for them, when you're creating exercises, it actually needs to be very closely translate to their sport. Um, so whether that means um, whether that means use of things like sleds. Um, you know, parallel tasks, um, acceleration abilities, change of direction under load. Um, those things are the ones that actually have the ability to transfer most of their sport. Um, and, and that's all of those factors go into it. So, you know, when you're designing it, it's okay, where does this leak occur? Mm. Um, and, and that's often an issue. To, the hardest part is often identifying it. Do you, do you often have, um, or do you, do, you, do you ever have athletes that come in and these are like in, in some sports, it'll just be straight to the, cre- the, the the cream of the crop, which just come in and they tick all the boxes. So they're ex- they're extreme, extremely they're ex- they're born naturally strong. Mm. They they have the ability to transfer that because they have that fast twitch muscle fiber, and they are coordinators. Shit, like do you, do you often have people walk through the door and you're like you just. Here we go. Well, I mean, we, the first time I walked into your door, uh, you, you know, you, you got a bit excited. You know, pants were off. Yeah, I just got a delivery coffee. I feel bad for the boys. We got nothing, me, I'm, Johnny. I'm on, the, I'm on the keto. It's a, it's a oh, bulletproof yeah. coffee, so I have to have it. Otherwise, uh, my brain fog will uh, will inhibit this conversation. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. So, go on. What, you're not really into that sort of stuff, are you? Like natural ability. And like, well, what's your take on? What you say? You're not into. You're not, not into, into that natural sort of ability. Stuff. ability. You're not yeah. into natural ability. Eh? You're, you're not into natural ability, guys. Um, <laughs> you need one of these, Tommy. I probably need a ketogenic coffee. <laughs> you do tend to see it sometimes, uh, like, and often those abilities have been developed in some ways. Mm. Um, you know, as I said, my, my biggest uh, exposure to sort of high-level athletes is in, in track and field athletes. Mm. Um, and, you know, for instance, a couple of years ago, he's, he's now actually not competing, but he was a, a hurdler who went to the Commonwealth Games in 2014. Um 
he started doing some work with me probably start of last year um probably more on the physio side of things but i would actually look after some of his i'd I'd be more observing some of his gym work for his coach that was actually based in brisbane at the time and this is a guy who is extremely powerful extremely fast really well coordinated as a kid did lots of different events At, at one point he was sort of training for the decathlon um uh and after not I said to him, you know, what are you sort of working on at the moment? He said, oh, we're trying to convert some power. I said, are you doing any Olympic lists? And he said, oh, look, I've done some in the past, but no, not at the moment. And I said to him, you know, I'll have a chat to your coach for you. And I spoke to his coach. His coach said, yeah, no problems. If, if you're happy to look at them and, and watch him, then I'm happy for him to do him. I just wasn't sure if he was doing him on his own, whether he would be um, looking after himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. First day into the gym, I said, oh, let's have a look. And he, I said, you know, how much experience do you have? He goes, oh, with one coach, I did about six months worth of lifting, but not not a huge amount. Picks up the bar, 60 kilos, hand clean, easy, 80, easy, 100, easy, 110, easy, 120, easy. And I just said, okay, we'll stop there for today. Really? And this is a guy that's 70, he's probably he's about 77 kilos. Years old. <laughs> What's that? 77 years old. <laughs> um, about, I think he's about 77 kilos. Really? Six, six foot one, six foot two, uh, maybe a little bit taller even. He's a, he's a hurdler. And just easy. It, it wasn't a stress for him wow. at all. So he's super just quick. insanely powerful. Yeah. And, and these, these people the exist. Yeah. yeah. These people <laughs> exist. Um, he probably didn't have the mobility to do anything overhead. Mm-hmm. He's just pretty stiff. Yeah. Um, and I don't even know whether he could have got into a full squat position to even catch it, but just, just traveling from, from his hip to his, mm. to his, uh, wow. to, the, to the front rack position was just easy for him. And, um, you know, I spoke to his coach about it and he said, yeah, like, let's just keep it in the pocket. I don't want to be crushing this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd had a number of injuries um, that sort of ultimately did lead to him not, he's actually uh, sort of semi-retired at the moment. Um, but yeah, like they exist and you see them yeah. from time to time and you kind of just like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, other times you get, the, the more interesting one sometimes is the, the anomalies that you get in. Like at the moment, I'm doing the gym programming, um, helping out a, a colleague of mine, a coach that's, that's got a, a really high-level track squad. And there's a young guy that's come in. He finished third in the nationals of the 200. You know, this last season just passed. He's six foot two and he weighs 63 kilos. Whoa! Um, couldn't clean 30 kilos when we started. Whoa! What a loser! <laughs> Str- struggled to squat 60 kilos. Yeah. Right, but he's just super quick. He's like yeah. a greyhound. He's not strong, and they're, they're the ones that are kind of interesting and fun. Mm. Um, you know, like they almost surprise you. Like one of the first tests we did was just a basic baseline strength test. He's got really poor mobility as well. Um, so we did a trap bar to see what his actual you know strength was. Mm-hmm. Seventy-five kilos was him maxing out. Really? Like he nearly he nearly blew his you know brains out trying to lift it off the ground. <laughs> blew his uh, blew Poor his mask. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Really blew his, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Really? Well, wow, that's incredible. So, um, so I, I actually um, want to rewind the conversation a little bit, just back to um, the the ACL frequency in AFL football. So, you, you tell me, like, or what if you if you had if you were a strength and conditioning coach of the AFL. The whole umbrella. You were the general strength initiative coach. I don't, I don't think that position exists. <laughs> yeah. Mr. John AFL. I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Um, if they're listening. Um, they're definitely not. <laughs> but um, if you were, yeah, if you were 
the strength coach of the entire AFL and you could change the way that that, that they trained. Would, um, I mean, surely the sport would change a little bit, but like, why are we having so many ACL reconstructive injuries? Well, it's multifactorial. Like, some people just have shit genetics. Mm. Some people don't have high tensile load in their, their ligaments and tendon mm. structures. Um, some people have what they call like a sloping tibial plateau. So they're at a higher risk. Um, and, and it tends to it does tend to have sort of genetic links. So you'll find the people who their, their parent, one of their parents or both of their parents have had ACL injuries, mm-hmm. they tend to have them. Um, the other, but the other, the big thing that I would suggest and one of the reasons is I think there tends to be a lack of development of strength early. Um, so a lot of, it's starting to change now because the systems are getting better with things like TSA Cup. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're not exposing kids to strength training at 13, 14, 15 years of age. It tends to be 17, 18, 19, mm-hmm. um, which I think they've lost a really big development window. Yep. Um, and I think we did speak about this last time. You know, if you look at um, the relevant literature out there, you know, researcher called Myers and the other one's Avery Fagenbaum. If you have a look at, at their work, there's a, a really interesting paper that he did. I think it was in 2011 that showed Essentially, when you start your strength training or neuromuscular training, that might be, you know, change of direction, plyometric, speed, mm-hmm. all of those coordinative tasks, strength stuff. When you start that, the earlier you start it, the higher your ceiling is. Yeah. Mm. Um, and we, and then we spoke about this last time, you know, we see it particularly in your sport, in weightlifting. The reason Australians suck compared to, mm. you know, some of these power Eastern nations, Europeans, yeah. one is drugs. The other is how early they start. Yeah. You know, they've got these kids lifting at six, seven, eight years of age. Mm, mm-hmm. We start lifting at 13, 14, 15. We've already lost five or six years of development. Mm. And what he showed in the study was if you start them pre-puberty, their ceiling is higher than if you start them during puberty and and it's even higher than if you started them after puberty. So, Yeah. Well, what's the science behind that? So, the studies have shown that, but what what... Is there science? What's your reasoning behind? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if what the, the clear mechanisms are. I think that they sort of postulate a few different reasons behind it. But I think the main ones are that you're starting to lay down some of the motor pathways, mm. and mm. you're starting to create some of in within your neural network. You're starting to create some of those chains um, that allow you to start putting some of those systems together. You know, in my mind, particularly something like strength. It and coordination and power, a lot of those things are driven by the brain. Yeah. They're not necessarily driven by the peripheral tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that and it's, it's probably like the, the biggest and the easiest way to almost see it for someone who like yourself who's in weightlifting is the gaps are not that big between the smaller guys and the bigger guys, yet the size of the athlete changes enormously. Um, and so you see that, that a lot of that fundamental strength and, and power that develops is already there up to a certain point and then you need to start adding mass into order in order to get a little bit greater. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said, like I think most of it is driven by central nervous system changes. And, and we see that even in things like um, you know, language development um, or musical ability. The earlier you started it, or lack of musical ability. Lack of musical ability. Yeah, yeah. Well, you probably started. <laughs> you probably started late. So, like, even so, I'd probably be the outlier here because I started in grade one and I'm terrible at music. So, it's interesting. What about so? So, basically, for but, people for people that aren't yeah. that, that aren't too 
to break it down the way that I understand it, so what you're saying is because say I have big strong muscles and lots of fast twitch muscle fibers, that's all well and good, but if I don't have that neurological pathway really, really strong to inside my brain, it. then you know I might be able to capitalize on 60% of what I've got in my in my muscles rather than if you've trained over and over you're able to apply more of the power that you actually have in your body is that a, a, uh, a layman's terms way to break it down or yeah yes and no I think like more yes though right <laughs> a little more no it, it, like it's funny you say that because you tend to find that these fast twitch athletes are kind of wired a little bit differently as well mm. um, so and, and most of the time they're and I'm sure you, you know, like even with your exposure to, to athletes that you know, they tend to have interesting personality types as well. Um, <laughs> definitely not you, Tommy. Ah, damn, it, I thought I was an anomaly. <laughs> so you know that, that they're the people that would probably have already been exposed to sport in some way anyway, because they're the super active people mm. who don't turn off. Um, Dick. <laughs> they're, 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 that's their personality. So it's, it's unlikely that they've just been sitting on the couch, but they're you know they're jacked and they're mm. you know they got their fast twitch. But at the same time, you're correct in the sense that if you're not developing those those pathways, they're not going to be sort of meeting the potential that they potentially had, like would have had. Um, and that's and that's about sort of again we go back to like how if you profile that athlete early and you identify okay we think this person may have the capabilities, then you start to put in place those. Um, those training parameters to see whether you can improve those capacities. So for AFL, for example, if we got them st- squatting, I'm just, just thinking of it straight away, squatting, putting the knees out, get really good glute control, you decrease the risk of ACL injuries. If you were squatting at a really young age, their motor path, their motor patterns are more likely to 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 move that way. We're on, even though you don't necessarily squat on the playing field, when you go into some form of hip flexion you're you're going to be moving in a safer way than, than if yeah you, if it's more about like so obviously the the more exposure you get to any form of sort of resistance under load mm. it, it, the better your joint structure and sense and your ability for your joint to assess what's going on yeah. will be um, obviously there needs to be that conversion from you know squatting is a very closed skill you're standing there the environment's usually reasonably well controlled yeah um, and you can actually carry it out, you know, without any disruptions. In obviously AFL, you might be running, changing direction, someone's chasing you and trying to bury you in the ground. So yep. you still need to expose them to those tasks um, and actually teach them sort of some of the items that may be protective, yep. you know, that might have to do with foot placement um, or expose them to things like plyometric tasks that allow them to actually regulate how stiff they keep their, their lower leg or their, their, or their whole limb mm. as they land. Um but again, that's stuff that you can expose them to in training, you know, like basics, yeah. starting with things like box jumps and then landings and single leg hops and all that kind of stuff. The more you expose them to that, the better their skill will be when actually carrying that out in a more open environment. Now, as I said, because it's multifactorial, it, it's not, you know, you're never going to eliminate all of these injuries, you know, and then you'll have the horrible ones like, I don't know if you guys ever remember when Robert Harvey did his knee. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Do you remember, remember the incident. I remember. I remember it happening, but I don't remember the. Incident. Yeah, so Robert Harvey did his ACL, but what happened was he he was in a pack, stood up, went to handball the ball, Ugh. and another guy had had sort of was tackling him in a standing position and twisted yeah. his body over his knee. Mm. Um, so essentially, it was kind of like the guy ruptured his ACL by sort of blocking oh. Robert Harvey's knee and then twisting him over the top of his own knee. Mm. Um, but you prepare for that when you squat, surely. <laughs> so, you know, some of those ones you're not going to be able yeah, to protect. Just, 
Because it's traumatic injuries. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. You can't uh, help it. But there's definitely been an increase in ACL injuries, like you're saying. Yeah. I think and innocuous actually, ones. Really yeah, the last few ones. years has actually sort of held true or, or dropped a little a little bit. Right. Um, but yeah, those those ones, those change of direction ones, those, those mm. ones where there isn't someone actually behind them, they actually should be reasonably... Uh, not easier. That's that's not the right word at all. But they should be able to to be minimised. Yeah. In my mind, at least. Now, as I said, it doesn't eliminate them, and, and and I know that a lot of these things are being done in clubs. So you know what we're seeing is probably a reflection of a lot of this input already being put in. Mm. Um, it may be also though that some of the athletes that you deal with are not necessarily coming to the clubs with that foundation already in place. Mm. You know, yes, they can play football, and yes, they can read the game but physically they may not be underprepared mm, and, yeah. that, and that's not the staff's fault you know they can probably do a 15 8 in the beep test but yeah. they probably can't squat 50 kilos exactly yeah and th- and that's and that's an issue that they and, and the way that the the draft system is, is now they're sort of pumping up this idea of a combine and all that kind of stuff it's very heavily weighted to some of these things you know like selectors love the fact that someone can get a 15 8 on the beep mm, test yeah. whereas i think getting a 15 8 you know, although it's impressive, it's actually reasonably easy to improve someone's aerobic abilities. Yeah. yeah. You know, but if they haven't had four or five years of, of neuromuscular training behind them, it's very difficult to catch them up. Mm. Well, that's the it's thing that I don't like about it is because, you know, you, I mean, selectors love someone, like you said, who can run 15 out on a beep test, who's like 200 centimeters and, you know, just has the makings to be a, a great, you know, AFL player in the long run. But based on that idea... You look at someone like Brent Harvey, who's 172 centimetres. Now, he's never going to get selected under the new regime in the next 10, 10, to, 10 to 15 years, and yet he's played the most games in the AFL. You know? Heavily femerically challenged. He- oh, heavy, oh, uh, Brent. Yeah, heavy femerically challenged. So why, um, <laughs> why do you think these old wives' tales still exist about resistance training being bad for young kids? Uh, I think the biggest reason is just a, a lack of knowledge. Um, you know, and particularly... In Australia, historically, we don't have a strong affinity to things like strength training. Um, you know, you brought up like Eastern Europe. We've got a, a close friend that's that's Iranian, and you know where his family's from is is where all the weightlifters are based. And mm. actually, historically, it actually was where where the army base was, and that's why they all come from that area because a lot of those families have historically been military families, mm. and and you know they kind of <laughs> bred between themselves, and then there's just these super Superhuman super, super kind athletes. of Iranian God. strength athlete. <laughs> sure, I wish I was bred from that. Um, and the interesting thing about it is they have such a huge respect in the the sociocultural sort of um, understanding of sport that strength is, a, is is something to be respected. Mm. Whereas in Australia, I don't think that, or even particularly in Victoria, um, I'd say where AFL and you know South Australia mm. where it's more popular. If you go towards the northern states, it, it is probably a little bit more popular. Mm-hmm. And and you guys, I know, have done a lot of interviews with you know like American. Um, you know, or North American athletes mm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In North America, strength is culturally very well respected, mm. and they start strength training very early. Um, it's very well respected because it has like large transfer for sports like NFL, mm. um, which is is their biggest sport. And so, I think a, like the big reason is it's cultural, mm. um, and and because we have lack of of cultural understanding and lack of of interest and respect for it, we we hold some of the basic. Um, premises that it's not good or it, because it's different to what we know. The cultural well, thing is the, huge, isn't it? I mean, like, 
I, I see a distinction between American culture and Australian culture. And this is very, very generalized, but like Australian culture is very much, come on, mate, don't get it. Don't get ahead of yourself. Just chill out, have a beer, all this sort of thing. Where America's kind of like, the way I see it is like, get some. economy, get some, bigger, better, you know, that sort of stuff. Like the bigger, the, 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 you know, the jock, like the homecoming king is essentially like the biggest dude, you know, all this sort of stuff. We're like, the most popular kid, especially in my school, was like some fat larrikin. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's just a real good bloke that everyone got around, you know? When did you lose all that weight in the, in the end? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, look, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah. um, but hang on, well, but there is, okay, so let's delve deeper into the old wives' tale of children starting, mm-hmm. starting children too young. Um, it always goes back to the growth plates being damaged in, in a kid. Yeah, now, yeah, surely yeah. you know... No, well, there's, there's at, no evidence for that at all. Yeah, so let's, let's, um, let's talk about it. Well, the hard thing is there actually isn't any evidence. So, essentially, it's debunked by the fact that no one can prove that it actually is true. Mm. Um, there is, like, obviously, if you're placing huge loads through growth plates... Um, Essentially, it actually may be a stimulus for increased growth. Um, it'll definitely be a stimulus for increased bone density. Um, that's been shown quite strongly, even in youth populations, that, that younger athletes who have been exposed to resistance training have higher bone density than peers yep. who haven't been exposed. Um, but there is there is just absolutely no evidence that ref- that says that it's true. There, there also isn't probably anything that says that it's false, but... At the same time, there's nothing going either way. So yeah, it's guilty until proven innocent. Yeah, exactly. Rather than the other way around. Yeah, exactly. So there doesn't seem to be any strong evidence suggesting that that's the case. Now, with that in mind, I think it's also been heavily influenced by some of the types of sports in which they do expose people to either resistance training or high load training um, over time from an early age. So things like gymnastics or weightlifting. Now, you have to probably put into context the fact that the countries that have had success in those sports have probably been doping kids from a very young age. Now, that probably has had an effect on yeah. their ability to actually reach full mature height. So, But that's a completely separate issue. Mm. So, and, and like the example I always give people, I think I always think it's a funny example, is yeah. um, Salimi, the ir- Iranian lifter. Mm. What is he, 6'7"? Mm. How he's, tall was he going to be if he started weightlifting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't start weightlifting yeah, like eight right. foot seven. No, he was on track to be. A, yeah, he was on track to be one hundred and five foot ninety seven. Yeah, 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 that's right. yeah. So like, he was literally a building. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. that's right. But no. now, I mean, just the the thing of you know, uh, from a in comparing a sedentary lifestyle to 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 a, a sporting lifestyle, someone who exposes their body to higher resistance and, and more load is definitely going to have a greater risk of injury than a sedentary lifestyle. But I really feel like people make those comparisons all the time. It's like, if I, if I was just sitting down on the couch all the time and I was looking at you playing soccer or something, I'd be like, soccer's real shit for you. You know, look at all the injuries you've had. It's like, yeah, maybe you'd be sitting on the couch for four hours every day, you know? Mm. I just feel like that old wives tale, wives tale comes from people that generally are very ignorant about mm. the gym and go, oh, you know, this is bad for you. Well, don't, don't score below parallel. Yeah, all that um, sort of fat, shit. When it's fat like makes you fat. Yeah, all the it, all the old all the silly when old the person stuff who's that, telling me that is like pretty overweight themselves. You know, <laughs> it's a it's a very very broad generalization. Yeah, right. I like well, it. The, the, Hypothetically, the, it's it's right. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. Fuck that that person. Yeah. No, look. The the example I always have is I remember a lady coming up to me and she said, um. Hey, can you can you teach me how to brace in a squat? And I was like, Oh yeah, I can teach you how to brace. And then we started. I started um, 
you know, saying, oh, you know, squeeze your butt, make sure your spine's nice and neutral, breathe in diaphragmatically and tense your abs nice and harder than go for broke. And she, she was saying, oh, you know, this isn't the way to do it, you know. And number one, I was I, I was so close to saying, well, have a look at yourself in the mirror, pal. <laughs> and uh, number two, now she's listening, I, I apologise, <laughs> Amelia. <laughs> no, that's rough. Um, uh, you know, I'd say, you know, well, you know, how's the way you've been doing it getting anywhere? But number two, she was saying, the way you're teaching me is just the, the weightlifting way to do it. You know, the, apparently the, the right way to do it is just sucking your belly button in. I was so close to saying like, well, if you ever look at weightlifters, they can hold 300 and whatever plus kegs on their body. Mm. And the way you're doing it, apparently when you sneeze, you bulge a disc. So it's just those things that my question is, which I will say to you, <laughs> is there's a lot of uh, misconceptions about all this sort of stuff. And even on a more general topic, you get into like, physios and a lot of physios you know can the the, the idea do you, of a do you have a question the yeah. idea, <laughs> do, you, do you want me to jump in here mate <laughs> so essentially how do you spell your last name <laughs> I did have a question I just lost I actually lost it and you were looking at me so seriously I was like I was like I was like fuck don't just look at me here this is not my role this is not my role <laughs> I do have a question for you. Um, we talked about um, starting kids young in... Uh, trigger, in trigger, you- trigger. <laughs> starting kids young on, on, on drugs, say like in, um, say Eastern European cultures um, and, uh, and like Chinese, you know, it's all, it's all speculation because we're not there in the rooms. Some of them have been busted doing so. No, but- it's, yeah, it's, it's not really speculation. There's been a couple of what, yeah, reports yeah, exactly. that have been released that actually show that it was happening systematically. Yeah. Yes, okay, sorry. So so that's right. So it was happening systematically. So so I always wonder like, um, awesome. like CJ Cummings um, in the US is a 14-year-old kid who clean and jerks 180 kilos at 40, like 69 000. or whatever. Like he's, he's, he's now, he's the first real American that's looking like, oh, he's going to be an Olympic gold medalist. He's yeah. a world record holder in the junior, in the junior worlds now. So, but you know, people look at CJ Cummins and they're like, "Ah, oh, he's got to be on the, he's got to be on the juice, mm. he's got to be on the juice." America obviously don't have as big of a history with um, drug taking. But when I say when I see this, like CJ Cummins, I'm always kind of thinking, "Well, hang on a sec, what are his parents doing at this point? Like, is he getting on the gear at seven years old, six, six, seven years old? Like, if they're if they're putting children." into strength training sports or sprinting sports or whatever and they're, they're using performance enhancing drugs like how young can you do that to a kid like that's the thing I don't understand yeah I probably don't know enough about it to sort of give you a really strong answer you know like well you clearly started from a very young age John <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's, it's hard to say I, I don't know essentially what mm. what uh, the sort of the justifications may be um, as I said there is evidence that shows that it was happening um, from very young age in, in some of these Eastern European and Chinese uh, athletes. And, and there, there was a recent one that I saw that was talking about a Chinese um, sports school that was giving kids vitamins and they were seven and eight years old mm. and they weren't allowed to not take their vitamins after their you know, morning tea kind of training session. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, which, is, which is very, very scary. You know what? It, you know what it could be. I, I spoke to. We had a um, a private trip to the, the to the CrossFit Games last year. Uh, this year, the year's not over, um, and got to know some of the guys really well. And I was talking about um, Lu Xiaojun and Tian Tiao and mm. all these Chinese weightlifters. And 
these guys from China, most of the group from China, some of them knew Lu, um, Lu Xiaojun. They knew him. Some of them, no, no. Some of them knew who oh, he was. Righto, righto. And most of them didn't. And only one or two of them knew Tian Chao, which, mm-hmm. uh, which is, he's like the second. 85 month, kilo. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and I was like, hang a second, but you guys are the best in the world. This is your national sport. And they're like, they said, nah, it's not really a national sport. Mm. People, people uh, the Western world thinks it's our national sport. Mm. Basketball is our national sport. Mm. So we had, um, we had a guy named Weiwei who, um, that's literally his name. W-E-I-W-E-I. <laughs> that's Weiwei. awesome. Yeah, but Weiwei. he was a lad. Yeah, he was yeah. like a Chinese version of us. Um, so I got to know him pretty well. And uh, Weiwei came from a family with a decent amount of money. Mm-hmm. Like, not a rich family, but a decent amount of money. And if you've got a decent amount of money, what happens is your, your children go and they play basketball because it's a national sport. Everyone loves basketball. It's crazy how much they love it. And then um, for the girls, it's, some, they have, it's, it's basketball, but there's another sport for the girls. I can't quite remember. But the kids that go into these, these, um, these sports schools... Mm. These sports schools take kids from the rural areas with no money and they say, hey, we want to give your kid an education mm. and they take 40 kids from... And these they, they, these um, families can't put their kids through school otherwise. Yeah. So they take them through and they go, right, you're going to be a gymnast, you're going to be a weightlifter, you're going to be this, you're yeah, going to be that. Yeah. So you can kind of see that maybe there's a reason why, say, because the parents are the big thing that... I, I, this is the question I wanted to get John's taking it because it's such a dumbfounding question for people from a good upbringing with, a, with parents that love him. You're like... My mum wouldn't fucking let me take nah. anabolic steroids when I'm seven years old. Like it's bad parenting, but you can kind of see that if they're coming from low socioeconomic backgrounds, they wouldn't give them any sort of help up. Yeah, any, yeah. any help, and you get a free education, and then they're in the system. And, and, and then, I think that's I that, that's the the big thing that, as you said, people like ourselves who come from uh, you know a socioeconomic background that doesn't dictate that we need to take these kind of risks. We 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 can't fathom how we would make such a decision. Mm. Whereas, you know, I look at, you know, my sport, track and field, or even, you know, sports like cycling and, and, and you know, the ones that have really been heavily involved in the drugs of years, you tend to see that a lot of the athletes that make these decisions, it's not a hard decision for them because the alternative is poverty. Mm-hmm. So, you can either be something or you can be nothing. Yeah. Mm. You know, even the rise of, say, the Jamaican sprint team, it's very likely that a lot of it is drugs. Yeah. Well, everyone, Bob, Usain Bolt and, and Johan Blake have been busted, even Asafa Power. No, Johan Blake got busted. Asafa yeah, Power got busted. Usain like, Bolt hasn't got busted, has he? No, he hasn't. He's the only one. Do you reckon <laughs> yeah. it's a matter of time? No, I th- to be honest with you, the sad thing is, and, and it's sort of come out with all the IAAF stuff, you know, with it's kind of was like, basically it's run like fucking FIFA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's all very sketchy. If he was busted, they wouldn't actually release it. Really? It, no, it would destroy the sport. Yeah, it would. Yeah. It's kind so of the definitely. Lance Armstrong kind of case, you know, and that's why his, that's his issue destroyed. was suppressed for so long. You know, the the uh, the UCI knew that Lance and all his team were geared up yeah. to the eyeballs. They know that all of them are geared up to the eyeballs, <laughs> the but eyeballs. they just... <laughs> they, they, but they just... Just to the gills. Yeah, yeah, they just... They know that if they release all of this information and it becomes common knowledge um, that some of the yep. heroes in the sport, and this is what happened with cycling, you know, cycling has been completely dragged through the mud because you had a guy who seven times mm. Tour de France winner. The Michael Jordan. You know, he's the Michael Jordan of the sport. Yeah. You know, and he's a hero. He had cancer. He came back. It's such an amazing story. Inspiration to millions <laughs> of crazy, people. And it was all bullshit. Yeah. It is insane. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, you and I were it's... having this this topic of discussion um, when we were talking about whether or not CrossFit should become a Olympic sport. 
It's like on one level it would be great because it would make it way more competitive and would open up to the whole world and it would be great exposure. But on the other hand, and I, I tend to agree, is that I feel like because it is, um, you know, there, there's a CrossFit HQ and there, you know, there are people um, out there that sort of run the show. I, I definitely believe that there would be some people taking gear that people would know about, you know? Oh, of yeah. course. Yeah. I, always, I, I always thought that. I read an article on, in the Herald Sun once. And it would ruin um, the sport because they're probably heroes. Yeah, that's people, right. You know? I read, a, I read a, uh, on the Usain Bolt thing, there was a, after he won um, London, so eight medals in now, or was London the last? Yeah. Was London the was London London his second? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. after he won his eighth gold, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, or whatever his seventh, whatever he won, yeah. Yeah. Um, they had an article that said um, it was "Say it ain't so," Usain, and it was just an article, not accusing him of getting being on gear, but saying yeah. how much it would crush the sport if oh, it was. Yeah. Because, like, you look That's at what I'm saying, yeah. you look at Ben Johnson, um, Marion Jones. Um, I can't remember. You would know him better than me. But like all the all the greatest sprinters, Carl Lewis in in in, in the end got. No, uh, yeah, he was such a guy, wasn't he? What's that? He was he was technically not. Wasn't he? Oh. He got he got off on like a technicality. Yeah. They said it was yeah. some bullshit that he drank or whatever. It was more of a um, uh, stimulant, but they said it was in some medicine or something. Yeah, he, but, he fell on the like, syringe. Yeah. It's like, you know how you say like um, Lance Armstrong um, got taken down. He's the Michael Jordan of yeah. of of, um, of racing and he sure. went down. But for sprinting, it feels like, you know, before Michael Jordan, in basketball it went, you know, Bill Russell or Wilt Chamberlain. Um, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan say that's the the, the, mm. the best ever in 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 um in history as they get to the new title of the best ever. Mm. It's like Will Chamberlain went down, um, Bill Bill Russell got busted, um, yeah. Larry Bird got popped, Magic Johnson got popped. That's what it's been like for sprinting. Mm. You know, every time you have this hero, it's like oh yeah they're great, they're fucking awesome, boom. So it's like that. It's getting to that point in weightlifting now. Mm. That's why they changed all the weight categories, and now we're back at square one. Yeah, I know. You know, like it's. Even it's, still, though, it is still amazing to watch someone move an extraordinary amount of weight. I mean, like Dimitri Klokov for now, uh, and I'm, I'm not—I'm just speculating. I've got absolutely no idea. I'm assuming that you know now he's—he's uh, he's retired now. He's—he's he's probably doing whatever he wants, which is totally, totally up to him. I don't—I don't know. Dimitri's a big listener of the show, yeah. so he'll probably uh, bite your uh, bite yeah. your whole entire face off bite next time he's in Melbourne. Uh, he's a good man, and, uh, old mate Dim. Um, had a couple of beers last week actually, and uh, no, but like, look, and I would probably—I would do it. I don't even know if he's done it or not. <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm trying back here. But look, John's got that same irrespective. Look on his face. Yeah, irrespective. <laughs> it's just amazing to watch someone move mm. an extraordinary amount of weight. And like with sprinters, I, I feel like even though tons of people have got busted, it doesn't really take away how spectacular the 100 no. meter sprint at the Olympic Games is. You know, no, that's right. It's true. So, but at the same time, I think like the big, and this is where I think this, there's a new sort of concept they're coming up with, and this this comes down to as I said the sociology of the sport. I think. The big thing that they need to sort of push is more of the racing and competition side of things rather than necessarily the performance or the yeah. time. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think if they can get that balance right, the times will become less important and therefore the rush to actually you know, drive those times down may change um, because like at the moment, the ability for people to continuously get better is going to get more and more difficult over time. Mm. And then the risk becomes that they're going to be pushing to all sorts of extremes to try and get there. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? You always yeah. wonder when that world record world record will stop yeah. to um, stop to be stop to, to get broken. But do you think that will happen? There will become a point where oh, humans will not be able to. It won't stop in the sense that 
like technology will continue to improve. Mm. So even though humans, you know, we don't evolve quick enough for that change to occur, the the setting in which you'll get extraordinary performances is where you're getting a congregation of performances around that world record. You have an exceptional talent that comes through. The technology continues to improve with, say, like the track surface. Yeah. You know the the actual stadium design, so the wind conditions are good. Yeah, the the fractal the fractal yeah. taking the of the, the the like might break it down to two uh, three fractions that's rather a, than two. Yeah, yeah it's, right. it's all these little things that like as that technology improves, the opportunity to run faster yeah. will continue to 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 be there. Yeah, um, but it's just that those gaps will get smaller. You know, like and the thing that sort of made Usain so amazing is he took a world record from. Mm. You know, well, if essentially he broke it himself, he went down from. Uh, was it nine? Marie Screen had it at nine seven nine seventy nine in nineteen ninety nine. Oh, yeah. Then it got went down to seventy seven with this after power. Yep. Then they pushed it down to to Bob pushed it down to nine seventy two. Yeah. Then at the Olympics in 08, he went nine sixty nine, and then he went bang and ran nine fifty eight in two thousand and nine. <laughs> That's um, fast. Like to to drop it by a point one is just ridiculous. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, I think we will see people go into the nine fives, and it may not be for another ten or twenty years, but it'll be you know one or two hundred. It's not going to be. Mm. I, I don't. Eight. I, yeah, I don't suspect is that someone will come out and and drop it to nine four in one go. But yeah, you know, it is possible. But I would suggest it's <sighs> unlikely. It's fast, isn't it? It's crazy, crazy the um, crazy the sports stars that we've had in the last mm. period of our lives. Like we've been able to see Usain Bolt, we've been able to see Michael Jordan, we've been able to see Kelly yes. Slater. Rod Federer, uh, Roger Federer, not Rod Federer. Um, Rod, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, cool. So, did you have um, did you have any yeah, any? Let's uh, jump into some good bad the science. GBS. I know this is um, this is John's favourite segment, so yeah. we don't want to we don't want to get him out of here without, <laughs> without missing out on it. That's very true. Yeah. Alrighty, the uh, the good. So for all of us at home, uh, some current affairs um, breaking up the uh, the serious chat about drugs that uh, Johnny's uh, obviously so in depth with. Uh, the good, the bad, and the science. So the good. Baby goat can only truly relax when dressed as a duck. It's not kidding around. Polly, a six-month-old goat in New Jersey is blind and experiences anxiety. Do you want to do this segment, John? Or should we just move on? I know. <laughs> I was thinking about that. His face is so... His face literally looks like he can only truly relax when he's dressed as a duck. Um, okay, so this, this goat has anxiety. Uh, but if she uh, puts on a duck costume, she's feeling uh, nice and ducky. <laughs> Polly, Polly came to the Goats of Anarchy Animal Sanctuary four months ago with some very serious problems, according to her manager, uh, Leanne. When she was born, she was tiny and blind and couldn't nurse. Uh, her owners worked away from home and didn't have time to bottle feed her, so she soon discovered many mental health issues, including severe anxiety and repetitive behaviours. However, when she was uh, put on... <laughs> <laughs> Look at that His face. face. <laughs> That's gold. Um, so when uh, when they put a duck costume on her, she uh, she was able to truly relax. <laughs> truly relax. Now, uh, Johnny, um, I, I know you're uh, obviously very excited about uh, the good here. Uh, which animal would you be, and why, to help yourself truly relax? <laughs> I'm not even answering that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, God what do you damn got next, Tommy? What do you right. got next? Nah, give us one. Give us an animal. Give us an animal. No. Fuck. <laughs> All righty. All righty. Oh, fuck you. Get the fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. The, the uh, bad. Now, you'd be an eagle, wouldn't you? Come on, Moo. Let's, let's move on. What do you got next? Well, what about you? 
Um, 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 I'd be. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. What you got for the bad? I'm excited for the bad. All right. All right. Okay. So, politician who criticised squirrels gets hospitalised. <laughs> <laughs> Politician who criticised squirrels gets hospitalised by a squirrel. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe Howard Brookins Jr. will think twice before he criticises squirrels. Okay. <clears throat> Oh, God damn it. Okay. In October, the older man for Chicago's 21st ward went on a public tirade about aggressive squirrels, <laughs> gripping the, the fury critters kept eating through the city's supplied garbage cans. <sighs> oh, God. <clears throat> but Brooklyn's had no idea just how aggressive squirrels were. On November the 13th, Alderman found himself in the hospital with a skull fracture after a squirrel left onto the path of Brooklyn's. <laughs> <laughs> wrapping itself in the spokes and causing him to flip over the handlebars. I can think of no other reason for the squirrel's actions other than it was like a suicide bomber getting revenge. My question to you guys is, uh, have you ever experienced a, uh, a extreme rapid case of karma? And if so, what happened? <laughs> Johnny. It's funny you say that. We had this discussion on Saturday. Was at the about uh, squirrels. I was at the track, on the uh, the warm up track, and we were talking <laughs> about how when you badmouth people, karma gets you. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, discus came over the fence and hit me. Actually, <laughs> pretty much straight away, Fuck, man. Like a, a real. What heavy... were you saying about discus before? Before yeah. that, um, <laughs> it's for plubs. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, karma got us. Yeah. Shit. So how yeah. did it hurt? Yeah, it wasn't fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. All right, the science. Public doctors are like confused about food allergies. All right, let's get into some serious uh, conversation here. Our grasp of food allergy science is as jumbled as a can of mixed nuts. While there are tantalizing clues on how food allergies emerge and might be prevented, misconceptions are plentiful and broad conclusions are lacking. As a result, both the general public and medical community are confused and ill-informed about food allergies and what to do about them. Most prevention strategies and many tests used to diagnose a food allergy aren't supported by scientific evidence and should be abandoned. We are much more in the dark than we thought, Virginia Stalling says, a uh, co-editor of the news report released on the 30th of November. So, basically in the last 50 years, food allergies have spiked ridiculously. I, I have an anaphylaxis to nuts. Um, people say it's to do with Western Western cultures and I've speaking to a few naturopaths and they all always say it's that sort of stuff. Um what do you guys feel is the biggest contributing factor to food allergies and why they become so prominent um, in the in recent history? It's well, a tough one. I definitely have no idea whatsoever why that I mean, would be. Some people it? say it's like, I mean, so anaphylaxis is the highest reported in, it's, it's the most highly reported in Australia and people were saying it's to do with the ozone layer or, or whatever, but... You know, you hear about anaphylaxis, and apparently that just wasn't a thing 50, 60 years ago. Like my old man always says that it wasn't even a, it wasn't even around. You know, John, do you have any any light on this? <laughs> <laughs> no. And that was the good, the bad, and the science. We'll move on. I'm never going to do that fucking segment with you again. <laughs> it was the exact same way the first time. <laughs> Johnny, um, can you shed some light? Nah. <laughs> it got what it deserved. <laughs> um, Normally it goes down pretty well. 
All right. So, so what are you um, what are you spending your most time on at the moment? Then, Johnny, you you've got your own, you've got your own physio, um, physio clinic, and then, what's your biggest sport outside of that? Like, what are you um, yeah, you know, what are you spending most time on at the moment? You mean personally or with no, business? no, like in um, well, everybody knows in, that you don't in, do any in your, in your business, in your business, and in your in your uh, professional life. As I said, the the biggest thing that we're probably mostly involved in is track and field. Um, as I said, we work with a couple of sporting clubs. Um, we work with rowers and um, and some AFL players more on an individual basis. Uh, the biggest thing that we're trying to do at the moment is trying to create an environment where there is as much support structures around athletes as possible. So. Um, in some respects, trying to give them a, a pretty integrated approach um, in terms to their in terms of their preparation and their health. So, for instance, we do a lot of work with track and field athletes from other coaches. Now, obviously, they've got the technical coach that probably sets their program, um, but we'll work closely with their coach to help set up things like their gym programming. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those coaches have really good experience with the gym, but may not actually always have access to spending the time with the athletes when they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may facilitate that for them and, and sort of give them feedback on what's going on and, and assist with actually coaching some of those things. Um, we obviously tend to then look after sort of any injury management stuff or soft tissue management. Um, we do a lot of... Uh, the other thing that we sort of started to integrate into the practice of what we do is, is sort of some more sports-specific mobility or yoga type stuff. I was, mm-hmm. I was telling Tom earlier that we've got a physio that's working with us who did a yoga apprenticeship that took him sort of three or four years to complete. Um, and he's been able to really integrate that really well in terms of how um, athletes can manage uh, a lot of their flexibility and soft tissue issues. Right. It's sort of, it, it's sort of like a personalized, it, it, we don't, we do them in a group setting, but it's sort of like a personalized Ron Wald kind of session um, yes, for, gotcha. those, for those people who understand, you know, what that is. Um, and we, we're seeing really, really big success with that. Really? Um, I was, you know, we we're talking before mm-hmm. the, before we started recording about the idea that and and like what why we think some of those things are occurring and and it's been actually quite interesting. We actually did a short podcast um, about a week or two ago talking about some of this stuff. But the changes that we're seeing in people's movement patterns, postures, um, flexibility has been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there tends to they're starting to be more and more science coming out, looking at and discussing what come some of the mechanisms behind that are. Um, and what know, is some of that? Well, like for, for the listeners that are aware of sort of um, ideas like mechanotransduction, which is how mechanical stress is placed onto a tissue or a cell um, and the response that that has it tends to be aligned with the, the stress that's placed on it. So, for instance, with something like flexibility training or you know yoga or whatever, the actual stretching to that cell or like the muscle cell, over time, the long-term response is to actually add sarcomeres within a series. So, it actually lengthens the tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, and the, the other big interesting area that we've been discussing, which at the moment, lengthens I think... Lengthens the tissue. So, lengthens actually, the tissue it, in, 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 in a general sense. The tissue yeah, yeah, like actually, gets longer and stays longer. Yeah. It's really? actually strengthening it. Yeah. Yeah. So, it yeah. actually will cre- add more like uh, sarcomeres, obviously, the, the basic unit to a muscle yeah. fiber. It actually adds sarcomeres into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm doing this with my hands and I'm realizing <laughs> we're recording audio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, this is, just have a look. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it's adding it's adding tissue in, in series, which means it's actually lengthening the tissue. That's and, and insane, that's, man. And, and a longer sarcomere, and there's, there's research that showed this even in the early 2000s by some Japanese researchers... Um, that showed that the longer a muscle tissue is, the greater the shortening velocity will be. 
So, um, they mm. found in, say, Japanese printers that vesicle length, um, and i.e., you know, the length of that tissue, mm-hmm. as I said, those sarcomeres in series, the longer that is, the faster their shortening velocity was. And this was in their quadriceps muscles. So, um, like how, the, how powerful and fast that can contract. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. the idea being that, you know, if you have longer fascicles, you have greater shortening velocity and therefore potentially, you know, you can actually move your limb faster. Yep. Um, so, and and it sort of fits, this is obviously very anecdotal, but it fits with some of the sports that actually have some of these um, uh, more like what you would call mm-hmm. static stretching kind of basis to them, things like martial arts, gymnastics. They, if you, in, in terms of measurement of limb velocities, they've probably got some of the highest measures ever recorded and they have a very strong static stretching basis to what they do. Mm. Um, but people don't everyone sort of went through there was a period and, and uh, I think this is actually where you were going with the question before yeah. that physios fucked a lot of things up for people mm. right you know we, we, we put out a lot of bullshit research that showed not much um, and I think it was very driven by trying to perpetuate our own you know importance which is I guess what everyone does yeah. mm. but you know said things like oh stretching doesn't do anything you know or even there was you know exercise science data that said oh stretching um reduces your force output prior to a session yeah well maybe it does if you do a lot of um you know static stretching before the session but post the session it actually may restore you know length and actually over time it's going to improve your your fascicle length and therefore your shortening velocity so maybe it's just a timing issue yeah yeah you know the other big thing that we've been discussing in relation to this is that we think that um, and it, it, sometimes it almost, I think it fits with some of the skill acquisition side of things is when you take someone into a position or you take them into a posture that they haven't been in before, I think that what it does is unlock some of that, the neurological sort of um, uh, inhibition that tends to occur. Um, and we're talking about this, say, in relation to weightlifting. And I'm sure you've had this experience before is, say, you're practicing a snatch position or you catch position. And you're just not getting it. You're not getting in the right position. Then all of a sudden, you know, a coach or someone who you're working with, a training partner says, I'll oh, try this. And you hit the position. All of a sudden, you know how to get into that position. And mm. it's, it's very easy to get back to that. Mm. Yeah. You won't do it every time, but all of a sudden, it's very easy. Mm. They haven't probably changed your physical structure so that you're now more mobile or more flexible. They're just giving you an input and your brain now realizes, okay, that's how I get to that position. Mm. Yeah. And we're sort of seeing the similar thing happen is we set someone up in a, in a pose or a stretch or a position and they attain a position they may not have attained for a long time or ever. And then all of a sudden they've got extra range and you're like, we haven't changed that tissue just yet. Like, it's not like we've been sitting there for seven hours stretching you. can't you. physically have done that that quickly. So we think there's a huge sort of neurological inhibition Mm. effect that we're turning off Mm. or even on or whatever it may be. Um, And and that's interesting. And, and, you know, the other big area that we're sort of finding very interesting as well is potentially, you know, the effect that some of these movement patterns have on hormonal profiles. So there's some discussion that certain poses may actually increase sympathetic nervous system action, sympathetic being, you know, your fight or flight response, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, an adrenal release and stuff like that. So potentially... And then, then the other way around, like we've been using it quite a lot for recovery, using some of the poses that are more parasympathetic, you know, shutting the system down, actually have a really great effect on improving things like sleep quality for recovery. Um, right. You know, all the athletes that we're dealing with at the moment, these, and these are high-level athletes, like these are athletes that I am expecting, you know, barring, you know, major injuries or, or whatever, you know, other sort of issues relating to not wanting to actually do it, 
are probably going to be representing Australia in you know World Commonwealth some Olympic sort of, Games sport, yeah. in the next sort of four to five years. So, but and they're reporting things like they do the session, and that night they sleep really well. Um, and, and for those who who take an interest in in recovery mechanisms, sleep's probably your biggest recovery yeah, tool. Yeah. It's hard to link that directly to the positions of stretching, though, isn't it? No, no, it is. It is. But yeah. you know, like it's very clear when. You know, for instance, they do the session, and yep. then the next day they're like, "I slept really well," and then the day after that, they're like, "I didn't Nothing sleep as well." Changed. It's pretty. It's pretty. Yeah, clear you to can you can suggest. join the dots. Mm. So, would you say you said that there's there's one um, set of poses and and so forth in yoga that will jack up your fight fight or flight response, and then there's the total opposite, which will mm. make you sleep well. So, do you are you saying that you have or you're looking at possibly say an athlete? is competing um, or just want, got a big day of training, they do a 6 a.m. yoga session and do the fight or flight no, style? And then when no, they, no, when not they... so much that. Like, and as I said, we're, we're experimenting with it at the moment. And, you know, this isn't conclusive. It's it's, it's sort of we're postulating and, and coming up with some ideas. But, mm. you know, this guy, Jack, he's even started coming to some of the track sessions that I do with my with the training squad that's that I sort of coach. And we're starting to put in some of those things pre-training. So I'm not saying they have to be up at six to do it. You know, they might be doing it as part you know, as part of their normal session. They they're doing their warm up stuff. They're doing some mobility work. Started to to give them some ideas of like, okay, maybe put this this and this in for you. One, it's going to help with some injury management stuff. But two, this may actually help improve the quality of your session. Right. Um, so, so it's not it's a session a, of yoga. It's like no, in your mobility and your warm up, you're doing these this yoga thing. poses mm. for a, a minute, mm, yeah. a minute there, and, and so it might, And so the aim that we've got is that hopefully it will have some sort of sort of priming effect mm, um, yep. that we can sort of input that and try and ramp them up so that they can have a higher quality session. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Have you done any training recently? Not a hell of a lot. No. Did you ever get back into it? Uh, Remembering our squatting off sessions, mate. Yeah, the unfortunate thing for you is you lose. <laughs> well, I mean, I uh, well, I mean, just look after the the, the the range I have to get down to below parallel comparison. Here. <laughs> You're doing a quarter squat, pal. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you should get back into it, though. Oh, I do do a bit of training. I train sort of two or three times a week, but it's pretty informal. It's yeah. mostly running at the moment. I, yep. I, I tend to go down the track and, and do... I was saying this to someone the other day. Most of the time, these days, because... The, the time that I would allocate to training is usually spent on either business stuff or coaching myself. Mm. The time that I would be at the track doing my own training, I generally am coaching. Yeah. Um, yeah takes, away from, takes away from the things that you're more, maybe more, more passionate about. Yeah. But in saying that, like the times that I train, often what I'm doing is actually um, trialing things that oh, I right may that. be using for my athletes. Yeah. I'm going to try and run really, really fast this time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if there's particularly if there's skill acquisition stuff that I'm working on, I'll sort of play with a few different variants of it and then look at things like, okay, how am I going to cue that so the athlete understands, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, what's going to work for them, yeah. you know, and then playing with the different mm-hmm. ideas. I'm not sure if you guys have, have in the coaching stuff that you guys are doing, but there's a lot of evidence coming out these days looking at things like internal and external queuing. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I remember you and I were speaking about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Right. What do you mean by that exactly? So, you know, internal cues are things that are probably more directed to you or your physical body parts. It's like move your arm here, mm. you know, shift your, your hips here, do this. Um, whereas external cues are more in reference to external items. So, you know, explode off the ground yep. or yep. throw the bar into the air or yep. if, if, you know, you're running, Giving you know, reference points that are external. Yes. And they're both well suited to different levels of athletes, aren't they? They are, but the evidence tends to be showing at the moment the external cues, whether the person has um, 
experience or not, the external cues tend to get greater performance, well. which is interesting. Um, a lot of, yeah, so even for instance, the, the paper that I was looking at, which was by um, a guy named Nick Winkleman, um, who's based, he's now based at... Nicky the Wink, they call him. Mm. Uh, I think he's the Irish rugby now, but I met, I met him when I went to the US. He was based at, at Exos, which is a, a, like a large um, sort of performance center. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of like NFL combine and stuff like that. Um, but his research was looking at acceleration speed for particularly for NFL combine prep, preparation. Mm. And they'll find external cues like push the ground away from you or, you know, whatever it might be was working better than, you know, like push your leg into the ground. Well, so, uh, uh, most people I'm assuming would respond better to that externally unless for your high. I, the way I feel myself personally is that like I would never give or I would try to sway away from internal cues for beginning athletes because they may, they would just probably have poor um, body awareness. And, that, and that's that, that's probably what the evidence is showing. Yeah. It, it probably is working more in that beginner or intermediate. I mm. think the more experienced you get, the better you are at actually yeah. ascertaining, okay, this is my body part. I know what I should or shouldn't be feeling. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think also at times when you're introducing something new, for me, it's always about like, how do I give them the most simple um, instruction? And, and part of that yeah. often is find an external cue that works. Yep. Sometimes the funny thing is the external cue that works for one person might be absolutely fucking yeah, ridiculous. absolutely for sure. You know, mm. like it, it's almost wrong. Yeah. You mm. know, but for them, that's the reference point that they need. Yeah. You know, like it might be, it sounds really dumb, but like say you're doing it, some person is just getting in the wrong position with the bar and you might even say like, you know, swing the bar towards the wall. Mm. Yeah. Right. And it just, it's completely wrong if you actually think about what you're saying, but yeah. it gets them in the exact right position yeah, that you want. Yeah, they end up pulling the bar aggressively. They can't actually pull it towards the wall, yeah, but they pull it aggressively yeah. and it ends up perfectly in the slot above the head or exactly. whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And even though like you wouldn't say that to another person because no. they'd be making a mistake and that would actually cause them to, to do it incorrectly. But for that person, it works well. Yeah, I can think of a few examples of times I've said... Um, there seems to be this whole, this big thing in CrossFit where uh, pushing the knees out, you know, where, where I feel that like, and I, it was with you, I remember that we, we helped my squat because I, I was thinking about pushing the knees out and using the glutes, using the glutes, all this sort of stuff where I was pushing them out too far and I was getting lateral knee pain because there was just no stacking and there, there wasn't any, you know, just good, whatever I'm trying to say here. But like, there's been a lot of times where I've had to say, push your knees in, you know, because it's just people are just squatting like too far out as opposed to just doing Yeah, and what it's push your knees in or just like let your knees stay Well, no, I'm, I, I have to say sometimes push the knees in. Bring your knees in. Bring Well, I'd say... I, push your knees like, in. Push your knees in. I'm like, oh, but, well, but, well, that, that's... No, but that's yeah, I'll, uh, then I'll just... Oh, uh, yeah. there we good, go. Good, good. <laughs> chest <laughs> down, chest <laughs> down, chest <laughs> down. That's exactly what I'm... A little pop that, in the back. That's what I'm exactly saying though. Like, it's the, it's the wrong cue. Yes. That's what I'm saying. But for some people might work. But for some people, that because they've potentially been over-cued so much the other way... Yeah, good point, Point. Do you I actually you need to actually mm. overcue them the wrong direction? Yeah, 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 yeah. And for you, you're like, that's completely wrong. Like, why yeah, would you do I know, that? You know oh, how to push squat. My, yeah, that's yeah, right. Because you yeah. know, if you did that, you'd probably hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'll get my knees into it. I'm like, oh, I'll do that. Do exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah some people. But just, I've said, yeah, yeah, no, I've said that. And because they're just not squatting the way we're meant to squat, evolutionary speaking, you know? We're just supposed to bob down and up. Mm. Like, like a toddler would squat. Would a toddler wouldn't squat his knees out. You, I'm sure you would have it on the stand. I know, man. I've made about three gags about you being short today. Sorry, pal. Um, um, 
Classic. I um, we got to get you out of here at some point, Johnny. As much as I'm loving this um, conversation, I reckon we uh, I reckon we make this bike a regular. It's going to really yeah. pain you because it's going to be. It. Uh, <laughs> I love it. No, I love no. having little stats. I, I reckon. Um, I reckon we make it a, 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 yeah. a, a every every few months. We can make you a, a cycling list. I feel like um, I feel like this is. Totally different conversation to the first conversation we had. But yeah, it is. It was absolutely. Yeah. Um, we were speaking about steroids for like the whole time. <laughs> but um, but since we didn't get you on the um, since we didn't get you on the first the first show that we had, we, did, we didn't go live. So we will finish off with six from six. We know mm. you did it last time, but we'll get our, get our um, get our questions in, and our listeners can get to know mm. you a little better. And then next time we won't have to um, we won't have to go through it. But um. And I won't, I won't write your song again next time, mate. So that's some good nah, incentive. Right, use the same one. I'll write another one. Yeah, <laughs> just use the same one. Um, <laughs> All righty. So um, I feel bad cutting this conversation off because we, we got it's just it's right. been such a great conversation. But obviously, all things have to end Come at some point. It. But Johnny, so your favourite travel destination on the planet? Where is that? Well, I think I said this to you last time. I'm probably less travelled than what I'd like. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the moment, I'd say the best place that I really enjoyed and, and probably more from the cultural aspect, it's obviously quite close to what, what we know here, but I, I really enjoyed San Francisco when I was yeah. there. Um, felt that the people were awesome. Um, they were doing some really cool things. Obviously, it's an innovative hub mm. with Silicon Valley being so close. So, I would say oh, that yeah. that's a place that I really that's enjoyed sick. spending time um, and, and I'd definitely like to go back. In terms of, you know, holiday things, I'm definitely sort of interested to do a bit of travel through Europe and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some family there that I haven't sort of actually ventured out to where see. Is so. it, where is your family? Where's um, Nicolosi? Uh, the family is actually in Sicily. Yeah, right. Um, and actually, there is a town at the base of Mount Etna called Nicolosi. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't think it has any relation to us, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely going to- claim it, but you'll claim it anyway. Yeah, definitely going to be standing in front of the sign. Yeah. Do you speak Italian? Uh, I speak a little bit of dialect oh, yeah. um, from the 50s when my grandparents came out. <laughs> I can just literally hear you going, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, my next question is dream travel destination, somewhere you haven't been top of your bucket list. Well, I think that, as I said, uh, probably I want to go to Sicily and spend mm-hmm. some time there. Sure. Um, there's a bit of history there with the family and, and there is still some family there. So I think that's definitely the, the next place that I'll go. And I think we're sort of planning to do that next year at some point. Awesome. Um, my next question is uh, any books that you recommend to for our listeners they can be um, a novel to take your mind off things uh, it can be a, uh, an autobiography they can be a Jedi. self-help kind of book anything uh, yeah I think the, we spoke about this last time but yeah my, definitely my favourite novel sort of book is Shantaram ooh we did talk about mm. that um, my yeah. all-time favourite also. Yeah, so if, if anyone does have the time because it is a long book I think it's about a thousand pages mm. or so but it's an absolute ripper, so I think if you've got the time, definitely read that one. Um, the other one that I quite like is a, a book called Essentialism, which is just about making sure that you, you you sort of hone in on the things that are important and get rid of the superfluous um, cool. items. But yeah, mm-hmm. cool. Well, that's it from me. Yeah, uh, biggest role model as a kid. Um, uh, I I don't know actually. The, you know, parents are always role models. Yep. Um. Definitely, was sort of one of my teachers was it was a really big role model for me. Um, who actually is, is my my best mate's dad. Oh, uh, right. He was a teacher at the school. Um, but yeah, no no one that sort of none of the fancy sort of superstar role models. Mm. Sort of. Um, Do you have a current one? An inspiration you look up to in the in in your working environments? I guess so. No, there's definitely some big influences. I wouldn't say they're necessarily role models. Um, I think, you know, like this is me just being stubborn. I guess you sort of want to set your own pathway a little bit. 
Um, but it's more, yeah, like there's definitely people that I have a lot of respect for and, and anytime they sort of any information or comes out or, or they, they, they put on a, you know, a conference or a seminar or they're talking at something, I try and sort of, you know, chase that down and find that. But, um, mm, mm. yeah, no, not necessarily role models as such. All right. Uh, how about some things you like to do when you have some spare time? Uh, some uh reading, um, yep. is probably the biggest one. Um, I tend to read a lot more sort of research and sports performance stuff these days, which I guess I said is probably more related to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to venture out and read a little bit more widely at times. Um, I quite like sort of more of the basic sciences mm. and technology stuff. Um, so even just with more popular sort of magazines like Wired and stuff like that, mm. I find really interesting. Um, and then, you know, if I'm really sort of wanting some downtime, I think, you know, as we spoke, I think we spoke about this last time, you know, TV shows, Netflix, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Do you get out much? I'm not a social person. Mm. Um, really? To, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, if you. If you haven't, if you haven't, tell, uh, you can't tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, nah, you're a good man. No, no, what's good? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not someone who's out all the time. But, mm. uh, yeah. And uh, finally, mate, three people dead or alive to dinner. Uh, who would they be? I forgot about this question. I remember you said, oh, you didn't say Hitler, did you? No. Did you say Hitler? All oh, right. Mate, that, a lot of people say Hitler, honestly. Hitler's our number one. He's our number one, isn't he? Yeah. And Genuinely. then ironically, probably, Jesus probably, is our number two. Genuinely. Probably says a lot about the people you got. I know. I know. We've got to stop having um, the Ku Klux Klan members. Nazi warmongers. They're all just interesting people. <laughs> what? I actually party, forgot party. about this question. Uh, I think, um, who did I say last time? I think one of them, I think, was Socrates. Oh, yeah, mm. that's right. You did say Socrates, um, yes. The other one was uh, actually I, I said Robert De Niro just because I think he's a he's a mad dog. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. And the then third I one. asked you if you could do a Robert De Niro impersonation. Yeah, I just said no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't remember it's who good. the third one was. Yeah. Um, well, do you want to pick one for us now? Just go off the top of your head. Oh, you can come along, Tommy. All right. Yeah, I'll come along. That'd be great. <laughs> there we go. Excellent, Johnny. Good man. Well, uh, where can people find you on social media um, and anything you'd like to plug? Your, your podcast. Probably give that a uh, play. Yeah, like yeah, the easiest is probably just our website, melbourneathletedevelopment.com.au. Mm-hmm. Um, I said our blogs and podcasts are, are up on there. Um, there's links to sort of all our basic um, social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yep. Um, yeah, if anyone wants to contact us or has any questions about sort of what we do, feel free to hit us what up What is there. your Insta? Uh, Melbourne Athletic Yeah, Department. Melbourne Athletic oh, Department. Started, uh, started a podcast. Uh, yeah, we've been doing... It's I mean, good. We started it in... Six months ago. Sorry, yeah, about May or so. Oh, did yeah. you? What's yeah. it called? Just Melbourne Athletic Development. Cool. It's real basic. I've just been putting it up on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, it generally is sort of topics more related to sort of physio or, or sports performance mm. stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, they're, they're pretty short. They're probably only about sort of 10 to 15 minutes, but um, we try and sort of address topics that we find interesting and, sure. and that we think um, maybe sort of have some interest to people who particularly have maybe um, a little bit more of an affinity with sort of uh, injury stuff or, mm-hmm. or, or items like that. Um, but awesome. but we don't try and make them too technical. So, mm. you know, a lot of our clients that come in, you know, have definitely listened to them and found them, you know, interesting. Mm. And it's, on, it's not on iTunes, only SoundCloud? Just SoundCloud, yeah. Just mm-hmm. something real basic. Look it up. Yep. Um, cool. That'll be good. Alrighty. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Alrighty. And that's a wrap. Alrighty. Thanks guys. for listening. Oh, shit. I forgot the guys part. Fuck. Nah, do it again. Do it again. Oh, I never do that. Just say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Alrighty, guys. Oh, 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 fuck. It's a game. <laughs>
going. Go on, say it again, say it again, say it again. Um, Alrighty, guys. Alrighty, guys. But, but yeah, okay. All right, we'll go with that. <laughs> um, if you if you, uh, if you like the show, if you liked uh, and you're a first-time listener, you love the show, then go call. ahead and yeah. subscribe for us. That would be very, very handy. It would be fantastic. If you are a long-time fan and haven't left us a rating review, please do so. Yep. If, uh, if you need anything from the show, heaps of um, nuggets of information in there, heaps of knowledge bombs, head to um, www.adventuretravel.com forward slash radio. All the show notes will be in there. And don't forget to check out True Pride. W- Fuck True Pride. Don't yeah. forget to check out Carve. Um, <laughs> check out True Pride as well. But don't forget to check out Carve. But for today, just check out Carve. <laughs> yeah, Carve. www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF. And also head to audible.com to uh, check out the world's biggest and best um, array of audiobooks yes. www.audibletrial.com yes. forward slash ADVF jeez it's been a it's rough been good fun. it's been a rough intro outro yeah, but it's been it's been good I've had a, I've had a good time but uh, we'll talk to you next week we will mm. bye bye